Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. We continue a series uh, today we started last week called Unseen Enemy. And last week we talked specifically about the devil. Um, We're going to not necessarily talk so much about him today, but we are kind of keeping in the same theme of unseen things and how they affect us. And and, um, hopefully you'll see where I'm going with that this morning. Rebellion equals freedom. Rebellion equals freedom. That is one of the credos that um, we used to live by when we were younger. Now, we didn't say it like that, but from the time we were 12 years old, that's kind of how we looked at things, right? Um, That the way to get free was to rebel against the rules, that that the rules really were created to keep us um, kind of subdued. And and, uh, so we just decided to ignore all the rules because as long as I was keeping the rules... I really wasn't free. But as adults, we know that rebellion uh, doesn't necessarily equal freedom. All you have to do to figure that out is to look at the the jail systems, and you can see people who thought that that was the case, who thought that if they just rebelled, they would have all the freedom they wanted, and then they end up in jail and realize rebellion does not equal freedom. We're too smart for that. But there's still something that kind of rises up in us, even in adulthood, and the, the the adult version kind of goes like this. I, I'll, if I disagree with a rule, I'll ignore the rule. If I disagree with it, I will disregard it. If I disagree with it, <clears throat> I will disobey. It's the same kind of twist, but it's a little different. Somehow, I'm still going to be free, and I'm still going to do what I want to do, but instead of just dismissing authority, I just like to take it one rule at a time, and then I make my decision based on that one law at a time. If I don't like the rule, if it's too extreme, if it's irrelevant, If it doesn't make sense to me, if I've kind of grown past that, then I'll decide that's not something that I need to participate in or not something that I need to really pay that much attention to. I'll evaluate it one rule at a time, and if I disagree, I'll disregard it. Now, you may not be willing to admit this this morning in church, but I I venture to say that if I gave you about five minutes just free time here and had you think back over just the last week that you've experienced in life, you probably could come up with a place where you have done this. Maybe this will sound familiar. 30 miles an hour is entirely too slow (laughs) for this particular stretch of road. And and I really think that the speed limit should be more along the lines of 40 miles an hour. So I'm going to disregard the 30 miles an hour, and I'm going to go 40 miles an hour. Sound familiar? I'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Hang on. So what we do is we evaluate rule by rule. You're filling out your taxes, and you say to yourself, I really think I should be able to count that as a deduction. I really think I should be able to count that as a deduction. I didn't make that much money this year anyway. So, um, and, and, you know, I think that God would probably agree with me that that should be a deduction. And so, um, or, you know, kids will say curfew. I don't think I should have a 1030 curfew. I think I should have an 11 o'clock curfew. And so they disregard or disobey it. Whatever it is, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways that we could look back over life just in the last week and see where we have kind of lived that out. There are all kinds of examples where if we don't agree with it, we just disregard it. And we started this series last week with the big idea that there is an invisible world that is impacting the visible world, that that it's not just what we see. There's some stuff going on behind the scenes and and where we don't see that that have a great impact on us. We talked about what Jesus and Paul believed, and we decided and we learned that both Paul and Jesus believed that there is a devil and that it's not just God on one side, but that there's there's another side as well. And he said, Jesus said that the devil is a murderer, 
and that the way he accomplishes his goals is through deception. Uh, Jesus said he's a liar, he's the father of lies, that the language that he uses is the language of lying. Now, I know that there are people probably even here this morning who would say to themselves, can you really be a modern Christian and believe in the concept of the devil? I mean, it just seems like that's something childish and something that, that we really wouldn't um, put that much faith in un- unless you put your faith in Christ and you start to understand that Jesus talked about the devil. And in John chapter 8, he basically named him for who he was and called him out. Today, I want to look at something that's a little different, and probably by the end of this message, I will have made some of you mad. Now, don't you love it when I start a sermon like that? Um, I've known pretty much all week that, that somebody this morning is probably going to leave mad. Um, you're at least going to leave and go home and have conversation over dinner, I expect. That's a good thing. I like that. I, like, I even kind of like it that you're going to leave mad because it tells me you're thinking. And um, we'll just see how it goes this morning. Just don't throw fruit. That's the only... The only thing I'm asking, you just don't throw fruit. Today I want to talk about the subject of authority. I, I entertained taking the stage this morning to John Mellencamp's I Find Authority Always Winning, but I decided against that. Now I'm like you, I'm all for authority, right, when I'm in authority. When I am the authority, I believe that everybody should obey and follow the authorities. I think that that's just the way it ought to be. Um, I'm, I, I just like authority. I'm, I'm, for, I'm for authority. I think people should respond positively to authority when I'm the one that's in authority. Um, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I, you know, I'm a parent. I kind of like that. I think, I think kids ought to obey that particular command in Scripture that, that you should obey your parents in the Lord. I love that verse because I'm the one that's the authority in that verse. I think authority is great when I'm the authority. And like you, I think authority is great when it supports my decision. I, I like to be able to call the police. I don't like having the police called on me. Um, I'm all for the police whenever I'm in need and I, I need them to come help me, but I don't want to see their blue lights in my rearview mirror. I want their blue lights ahead of me moving away from me, right? I don't want, to, I don't want them behind me. I want them in front of me. I want them to lead me, not to chase me. That's, we're, we're, we're all on the same page. Somewhere along the way, our culture, and I think this started in the Garden of Eden, our first response to rules and authority was to evaluate the What? And that's the problem this morning. What am I being asked to do? What, what am I being required to do? And we evaluate the what, whether it's parents or your boss or government or educational system. In whatever arena in your life where you have someone telling you what to do, we have a tendency to focus in and isolate the what and ask, okay, what, what is it that's being required of me? If you work for someone, if you're involved in some organization somewhere, Our first line of response when we evaluate authority is to evaluate what to do. And the twist is, if I disagree with the what, then I can disregard the what. The twist is that if I don't like it or I think it's antiquated or it's irrelevant or it doesn't make sense to me, that I can just disobey it or not pay any attention to it. I think the speed limit is wrong. So if the speed limit is wrong, I'm going to go the speed that I think it should be and not necessarily the speed that has been posted. Now, I had somebody come out this morning and say, the speed limit is what the policeman allows you to get away with. They set the speed limit. Now, I'm not sure I buy that argument. The speed limit, according to the law and according to authority, is what's been posted. Now, this is not a sermon on going the speed limit, okay? Because if it is, I'm in really, really big trouble if, if that's what this sermon's about. But 
that whole discussion does need to be informed by this sermon. I will say that. Because what happens is we see a speed limit that we think shouldn't be that speed limit. We go a little faster. We go home. We don't have any regrets at the end of the day. We put our head on our pillow. I doubt seriously any of you laid awake last night thinking, I was going 35 in that 30. I knew knew that was going to rob me of sleep tonight. That's really bugging me. I can't believe that I went 35 in that 30. I doubt any of you did that last night. Because what we do is with some of these things, the what, when the what is irrelevant, we just look at it and say, bad rule, I'm not going to follow that. We, we go on about our business, and we forget. It's not a big deal. We look at authority, and our first line of response is what it says and what it's asking me to do, and if I don't agree with that and I can get by, then I'm free. Now, if I think I'm going to get in trouble, <laughs> I may adhere to it, not because I agree, but just because I'm trying to stay out of trouble. If all we're talking about is a 12 or 12.30 curfew, if all we're talking about is a 35-mile-an-hour or a 45-mile-an-hour speed zone, then, then those things really aren't really worth talking about. But what if we're talking about something a little more serious? What if we're talking about something that's a little um, deeper? What if we're talking about something that maybe hits home with someone on a little deeper level? This can be a broad thing that, that impacts us at multiple levels. It becomes a little more emotional if I'm talking about a 16-year-old boy who's entertaining getting in a car where there's a couple of six-packs floating around in the back seat, and he starts to talk like this. Well, you know, I know that they've got drunk, uh, drinking and driving laws for everybody else, but they don't know how I handle alcohol, and they don't realize that I can do this and get away with it, and it's not a problem for me and my friends. My, me and my friends aren't like everybody else. See, that's different. Now, all of a sudden, we hear it and go, no, 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 wait a minute. That's, that's, a, that's a law that needs to be adhered by everybody. You know, there are no exceptions. There are no 16-year-old exceptions to drinking and driving. In fact, there aren't, any, there aren't any exceptions to that, no matter how old you are. We would push back on something like that. And, and, but what, what this kid is saying is, you know what? I'm not an average 16-year-old. And my, kid, my friends aren't average 16-year-olds, and, and so, you know, that's just a crazy rule, and since we disagree with it, we feel empowered to disregard it, just like his dad did when he filled out his tax return, because he's grown up seeing a, 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 a thing put before him that says, if you disagree with the law, then just disregard it or disobey it. And so we, we very subtly teach this to our young people and it's a, it's a scary, kind of a scary thing. So that's where we're going today. And, and, you know, we'd have not even a twinge of conscience about some of the things that we would, uh, some of the laws that we would cheat or that we would disobey or disregard. Now, it's not a surprise that when you open the Bible, you find a little different paradigm than the one I'm talking about here. And I'm just going to let you know right now, some of you are going to want to push back today on these verses. I've already had it after the first service. I've had two or three conversations this morning of people saying, yeah, but what about, and what if, and, and they've kind of pushed, and I'm just going to say, go read Romans 13. Take, take your Bible, turn it to Romans chapter 13. I want to focus in on a principle this morning that if you allow this to sink in, will, will truly liberate you. This is a very spiritual thing we're talking about uh, this morning, and um, for a lot of people, it comes down to, I'm just going to look at the rules, and I'm going to just take them one at a time, and God says, no, that's not how I want you to do it. I don't want you to look at the what. God says, I want you to look at the who. Not what, but who. The book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 13, if you're still looking, if you're still trying to find it, Romans chapter 13. The book of Romans is, a, is actually a, a letter 
that was written to the church that existed in the city of Rome. Um, there were not a lot of Christians in the city of Rome. Rome was not a real hospitable place for Christians in the first century. That was a place that you could pretty much die. Guess who was the emperor in Rome at the time this letter was written? Does anybody have any idea? Nero. If you know anything about Nero, and, and if you don't know anything about Nero, I'm about to educate you a little bit and just let you know what a crazy man Nero was, okay? Nero, the book, the, the book on Nero is, by some guy's accounts, is that he drank from lead cups so much that he, he eventually just went crazy. Um, he, he, was, he was nuts. Um, he burned Rome, set it on fire, and blamed it on Christians. He hated Christians absolutely could not stand Christians and was out to just completely destroy them in any way he could. Um, Nero liked to watch sporting events in his garden at night. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Sounds like a nice thing if you're an emperor and you can have gardens where you can watch sports. Problem is you have to have light to watch sporting events at night. So uh, Nero achieved this by taking Christians and having them dipped in pitch and then he would hang them in his garden and light them on fire. And that is how Nero watched sporting events in his backyard. Nice guy. That's who's in charge. That's who's in charge when this letter is written. So as you listen to me talk today and as we read scripture together today, it's very important that you understand that the emperor of the people who were reading these, these words, the emperor of those people was Nero. Uh, Nero, he had Christians fed to the lions, he had Christians crucified, he was a pagan, he was a horrible emperor, um, he had family members killed, he just was not, not a real stable guy, he was nuts pretty much, he was the person in charge when these verses were written. Um, so with that in mind, here's what Paul wrote to some Christians living in Rome about authority. You ready? Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And you say, <laughs> already we need a timeout. Um, don't you mean we should look at each and every rule and evaluate them one at a time and just do it that way instead of this blanket statement? No. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Okay, come on, Paul. You don't even know what's going on here in Rome. You don't know how crazy this guy is, and you don't know... Our lives are on the line here. We, I mean, you can't, you, surely you can't be serious. And Paul says, no, no, this is, a, this is a shift in thinking. I know you've gotten used to kind of taking them one by one and say, well, that one's okay, I'm going to obey that, but that one's not, I'm not going to obey that. I know that's how you've operated, but, but this is a shift in that whole thing. And I'm telling you, it's not about what anymore, it's about who. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Nero is in charge. Now you need to hit the pause button right there and just let that sink in because it's, it's a little bit unbelievable that really this is enough to make you want to take Romans 13 and just rip it out of your Bible, right? I mean, you, this is one of those things... I. I'm not going to go there. I can't go there. I was going to give you an illustration, but I don't have time in it. I, might, I don't have permission. I might embarrass somebody. Uh, let's keep going. For there, therefore, th there is no authority except that which God has established. And then, you know, it's like he realizes we're going to struggle with this, so he repeats it for us. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, remember, 
These are people who have Emperor Nero. And Paul's writing these words to them, and they're being told that what they've got in place has been established by God. Paul, you mean, you know, they want to push back. You mean religious authorities, right? You mean pastors and preachers and rabbis and priests and prophets and and popes and people like that. I mean, you're talking about religious people, right? No, no, Paul says, no, no, authority. In this case, authorities that exist have been established by God. And he points to a principle that you will find throughout the Bible. And and this principle will help you make sense out of life. This principle will help you really make sense out of history. Here's the principle. God always works through human authority. God always works through human authority. Good human authority, bad human authority. Righteous human authority, unrighteous human authority. God works through human authority. That's how God exercises his will on earth. And I'll give you some examples in just a little bit. Paul says, look, it's not about the what. It's about who. Because God exercises his will through human authority that that has allowed and, and that he has established to be in place. To which we say... <laughs> You know, the implications of that are kind of scary because it sounds like to disregard the rules of my parents or my company or my coach or my government, the implication is that to rebel against those is to rebel against God. That by putting these things on the same line, you're making what I do a spiritual issue. You're, you're making my tax return a spiritual issue. You're, you're making what happens with me at school and my teacher a spiritual issue. You're making my boss and what I have to put up with at work, you're, you're, Brett, you're making that a spiritual issue. Surely that's not what you're saying. Verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So God has established authority, the authorities in your life. And as bad as you know, I want to do that, this, and we've all said that, you know, I really wish I didn't have to do this thing. You know, you're tempted to say, okay, God, I'm not going to do this because, you know, it's irrelevant. I'm not going to do this because it doesn't make any sense. But God, I want you to know I love you very much. I want you to know that your word is important to me, and I love Jesus. And Paul says, you know, we got to call time out because you've fallen for the big lie. You've fallen for the lie that this is about what and not about who. And you don't understand that God exercises his will through human authority. That's how God gets things done. And he says, let's, you know, let's evaluate this for a minute. Let's, let's go back because this all started in the garden. And what happened in the garden is that the serpent said, well, wait a minute. Let's evaluate this whole eat from the tree thing. You know, I know, I know God said that, but, but let's not think about God for a minute, and let's just think about the what. Think about the what. Did he really say you're not supposed to eat from this tree? And, and basically what he did was he made it look like it was an irrelevant, stupid command. You know, you, you can't be serious. You're not going to obey. That's a silly rule. Why would he tell you not to eat from that tree? That, that doesn't make any sense. 
And, and what happened is Adam and Eve kind of got into this frame of mind where they said, well, you know, now that you think about it, you're right. That, that, you know, when I think about the what and not the who, well, yeah, that's stupid. <laughs> and we've been paying for it ever since. And so God says to you and God says to me that this is a principle. This is, this is that, that your attitude and your response to human authority is a reflection of your attitude and response to your Father in heaven. That, that your response to authority that you can see is a direct reflection of the response to the authority in your life that you can't see. That's the principle. And to think that somehow we could be under God's authority but out from under earthly authority is to be confused about what God says about authority in the first place. And we as Christians so much want to divide these things and, and not look at it that way. Uh, let me tell you this. The, the richer you are, the more powerful you are, the more money you have, the more power you have at work, the more prone you are to become a person who says, well, the rules and the laws are for the little people to keep them in line, but they don't apply to me. The higher you go, this is a principle that I try to operate under as a leadership principle I learned from John Maxwell. We practice this around the church, and I could spend a whole hour just talking about this one principle. It's the, it's the pyramid principle. The higher you go in an organization, the less rights you have. The higher I go in this organization, I don't have as many rights as you have because I'm the leader. You've got more rights than me. Consequently, the higher you go in the organization, the more responsibility you have. And, and so, you know, we want to. We, we we get to the point where we think, well, I'm at the top. I can, you know I don't have to do what everybody else does. I don't have to obey like everybody else does. And so the the danger comes in that the more you have, the more prone you are to feel like you're above certain things. And the more powerful you are in your company or your department, the more prone you are to think that these rules are just for the little people. They don't really apply to me so much. And you forget this is a spiritual decision. Paul says, you're messed up here because you think it's about what you're being asked to do, and it's not about what you're being asked to do. It's about who is asking, and if they are authorities, then God has put them in place over you. Even a temporary situation in a company, even your home, your school, your government, to rebel against those authorities is like rebelling against your Father in heaven. Verse 3, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who who do wrong do you want to be free from fear of the one in, in authority then do what is right and he will commend you now listen to this next verse if you're a company president or you're a government official or you're an education you're a teacher superintendent you're you know principal something like that listen to this next verse for he which is the rulers for he is God's servant to do you good but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. I guarantee you, when they read this, they just kept saying the same thing. But Nero, Nero. Now you've got to listen. Your boss, who is a non-religious guy, so non-religious it isn't even funny. Did you know he is God's servant, an agent of God in your life? <laughs> and you chuckle and you say, Brett, you obviously don't know my boss. 
Because if you knew my boss and you knew how ungodly this man is, in fact, I'm not even sure he believes in God. He may be an atheist. How can you possibly say he is God's agent in my life? Or I look at kids and I say, kids, your parents are God's agent in your life. And you want to (laughs) go, my parents don't even go to church. You know, they haven't darkened the doors of a church. I've never seen them go to church. And yet you're telling me they're God's agent in my life? And so then, you know, you've got these Christians living in Rome, and, and they're under Nero. Because here's what Paul knew. God works through human authority, the good ones, the bad ones. That To rebel against the authority is to rebel against the people that God has placed in position over you. Well, Brett, I'm not even sure I believe that. Well, of course not, because we've been duped into believing that we can take these things one at a time and we can decide this is worth following, this one's not, this one has relevance in my life, this one doesn't, I'm going to ignore that one. You know what the flip side of this whole thing is? If you're a boss, you're God's agent to the people you work for. Think about that. If you are in a position of authority, you are God's agent to the people who are under you. If you're a public official, you're God's agent to the people who who you've been given control and and charged over to to see to it that their needs are met. Needs are met. I'm a trained professional. Don't try this at home. You might get hurt. God works through human authority, whether they believe it or recognize it or not. And so it's really quiet in the auditorium right now because here's what's going on. You're thinking to yourself, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but I've got this question. But, but you know, as, he's, as you're talking, I'm, what about this? I'm not sure, but, but Brett, he keeps going. Just hang with me for a minute. And I got told this morning that, that I need to do a Paul Harvey and give the rest of the story this morning. Um, I don't think I do. I, I, I think what I got taught after, after people were leaving is that I didn't communicate this well enough and I'm going to change something at the end, so we'll see. Verse 5, therefore, it is necessary to submit. Now, Paul knows what we're thinking. He knows that we're, you know, we're we're, we're struggling a little bit. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment. You see, that's what what we do. We say, well, this is a dumb rule, but if I get caught, that's going to cost me a lot of money, and I don't want to get caught, so I'll, I'll keep the rule because it's, you know, even though it's stupid, I'll do it. You know, and just let me, um, for me personally, can I just say, get this off my chest, and this is the beauty of being the preacher sometimes, you get to just use the pulpit and, and vent for a minute. Can I just say that the overpass at JADCOR, 30 miles an hour, that is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm always late taking my kids to school, and I come over that overpass, and I know it's 30 miles an hour, and I've seen that policeman on the other side with his gun out, and he's, he's shooting people with the MPG thing, you know, and I'm like, oh, and I can't stand to go 30. It's just 30 miles an hour just seems like you're creeping over that bridge. It's just like, come on. But I go 35. Do you know why? Because I've seen him on the other side at the bottom of the hill with his little miles per hour gun, his little jugs gun out, getting people going too fast and I know he'll pull you over so I go 30 miles an hour when I go over that now if I didn't think if you told me in advance he's not on the other side 
what do you think's going through my mind? Hello, 45 miles an hour. You want a reality check? Ask your kids this question. Better yet, ask yourself this question. And you be gut level honest, and this is going to show a very dark side of your life, quite possibly. Would you, ask your kids this. I, I had, um, I used to be the youth pastor here, and I did this thing called Rock Group. Ryan does it now. It's a thing that we offer to kids who want to go a little deeper. I tried to make it like a college course. I was trying to prepare the high school kids to go into the philosophy class when they were sophomores at the university and have some foundation, some clue as to how to answer some of that stuff. And so I, I, I just poured myself into teaching those kids. And I was so proud of them. And these kids were, you know, these were the upper echelon. These were the, you know, solid kids. These were the ones I called on to pray. These were my leaders. These were, these were my good kids. They got it. I brought them into rock group one night and I asked them this question and I just cannot tell you how disappointed I was. Here's the question. Would you smuggle cocaine from Columbia, South America to the United States for $1 million if you knew you wouldn't get caught? Prepare to have your heart broken and ask your kids that question. Because the answer is a scary answer. Paul takes us to the next level. Listen to what he says, verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, this is just the right thing to do. See, when you get this right, when, when you fill out your income taxes, you're not just accountable to the government. This, is a this should be a matter of conscience. This is the right thing to do. Isn't this just a great sermon on the heels of what we just went through? Because the federal government is an agent of God in your life. That doesn't mean they're godly. That doesn't mean they always get it. That doesn't mean they even have faith in God, which is you know, kind of where the twist kind of comes in. It means that if you're at school and you have a chance to cheat, kids in the room, listen, if you're at school and you have a chance to cheat and you know you will not get caught, this is a spiritual issue. This is a matter of conscience. This isn't about, well, I can do it and get away with it. This is about, no, God put that teacher over you. That is an authority in your life. And God says, I want you to obey that authority. And for you to cheat on your test is to cheat on God. You say, okay, Brett, I think you're getting carried away. Read it for yourself. He says, look, if you're going to be a God follower and you're going you're gonna to say, you know, I believe in Jesus, and then, then this, is about, this isn't just about keeping the rules so you don't get caught. This is about doing the right thing for the right reason. This is about understanding it's not about the what, it's about the who. Because ultimately, you are not just accountable to your boss. You're not just ultimately accountable to your teacher or to the government or, or to the police officer. You're ultimately accountable to God. <clears throat> then he gives us this illustration. <clears throat> Verse 6. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants. Paul, <laughs> 
they're Romans. You don't even live there, Paul. You don't even know what the tax structure is in Rome. I mean, are you sure you can say something like that? See, my whole life, from the time I've been a little kid up until now as an adult, I've heard people complain about taxes, right? It's what we do. It's an American pastime. You're not a good American unless you complain about taxes. I've grown up listening to, listening to adults talk about, well, I just, you know, tax season. I, I was a little guy when I started to realize April 15th was a bad, bad day in America. <laughs> and just a little aside, if you think our tax structure stinks, the, the Roman tax structure was horrible. And see, here, if you don't pay your taxes, you get a letter. In Rome, if you didn't pay your taxes, you got a visit. Letter better than visit any day, okay? Because, see, in America, if you don't pay your taxes, nobody comes and takes your wife and sells her to try and get money to pay off your debt. That happened in Rome. Nobody comes and takes your kids, although you think to yourself, you know, that is a great idea. <laughs> Sell the kids to pay off my tax debt. Man, what a... <laughs> Paul. <clears throat> That's, I repent. I'm sorry. I love my kids. I do. I love my kids. I have great kids. But see, in first century Rome, if you were, and especially if you were a Christian, that's the kind of stuff that happened. And Paul says, here's why you pay taxes. You pay taxes not because they're fair and just or because they're not fair and just. That has nothing to do with the whole thing. You pay taxes because the government that demands that tax is established by God and it is the authority in your life. God works through human authority. Now let me anticipate a question that you might be having right now. You're you might be saying, Brett, are you, are you suggesting that we should never question authority? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying. No, question authority all the time. You should always question authority. But when you, see, when you fall for the twist, when you question authority, see, when you don't get this right, when you question authority, you think you're empowered to rebel against authority, and you're not empowered to rebel against authority. That's the problem. That's where we miss this. We start focusing in on the what and not on the who. But see, when we get this right, we don't have any problem. You say, you know, I'm going to obey this, and this isn't about fair. This is about you, God. This is about you being my heavenly Father, and this is about where you've put me, and this is about the authority that I'm under, and, and whether I agree with it or like it or not, and even if I, you know, Brett's talking about authority and you've put him in authority, and I don't even know that I understand all that. But, but if you've given this to me, even though it looks ungodly and it looks crazy, I mean, again, these people were under Nero. And so, yeah, it's okay to question it. And write letters and complain and say, you know, this isn't right, and what can we do about this? And, but, but you have to understand that there is authority. It's not about what, it's about who. Now, as I've been talking, you're trying to poke holes in what I'm saying. I know you. I know you. You're out there, and the little wheels are turning. And you're like, okay, what, what, okay what's, the, what's the big golden question we could ask it? Just, you know, make him go tongue-tied. I got it. Here's one. What if a dad 
asks his son to rob a bank. What about that? What about that? You know, gotcha. Here's the answer to that. Those kinds of questions are built into this principle because, and, and that's what makes this so, so powerful. God works through authorities, and there are many examples in Scripture, um, Daniel, Paul, Jesus, when, when authority abuses their authority and works outside the law, you simply appeal to the next authority. If, and this is where I didn't do a very good job in the first service, so I'm going to try and do this better. Let's, let's take the one I just brought up. A father asks his son to rob a bank. The son goes, you know, I don't think I'm supposed to rob banks. I'm going to appeal to the next authority. Okay? So you ask yourself, who's the father, uh, who, under whose authority is he under? He's under the police authority. So I appeal then to the next authority. What do you think? Should I rob a bank? The next authority would say, no, you shouldn't rob a bank. This person who's in authority over you is out of line to suggest such a thing. You don't do that. So it's okay, you know, it's okay to appeal the next, the next authority. You kind of go up the chain. But you're always under authority. See, the son is still under the authority of the police officer. Do you understand that? That's where we kind of miss this whole thing. If the legal authority won't help you, then maybe you can talk to God and see what God might do, but God may just accidentally, not accidentally, but on purpose, leave you there. See, this is where this gets dangerous. If you fall into a thing where you're constantly taking them one by one, I'll do that one, I won't do that one, that doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do that one. When you come to the Bible, there are going to be certain things that you're going to read in here and you're going to go, children, obey your parents. Well, I like that. I believe that ought to happen because I'm a parent and I want my children to obey me. But this whole thing about love your wife as Christ loved the church and lay your life down for her, I don't like that. I'm not doing that. And so we take them one at a time, and, and we kick some out, and we keep some. And, and what it causes us to do is we start to live our lives in sin, and we're not. And, and you know what? We can say, well, I love Jesus, and I love the church, and I love God and all that, but if you're not, God will never be your authority. God will never fully be your authority if you take these one by one and you live your life just take, not recognizing I am under authority, period. It's not about the what. It's about the who. Let me close by saying this. There's a song that kind of goes like this. I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. Here's the thing, because God works through human authority, sometimes weird things are going to happen. Um, we don't always know what God is up to. And we have a tendency to think that we know better than God. And we see things going on and we say, God, that doesn't make sense. There's no way you could do something good through that right there. But just stick with me because I'm going to show you that that's the case. See, we, we look at death and we say in every instance, death is bad. God, there's no way death can be a good thing. And I'm here to tell you, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, God has not one wit's worth of trouble with me dropping dead right now if it means his glory. Doesn't, doesn't phase him. Okay, He doesn't look at death the way we look at death. He doesn't look at pain and suffering the way we look at We look at pain and suffering as, oh, that's bad. But do you realize that if you couldn't feel pain and you put your hand on a stove, your hand would be destroyed? Pain is a good thing sometimes. And so, just for, as an example, let's say that you showed up 
back in the day when the Egyptians were controlling the Israelites. And they were forcing them to build, you know, through forced labor and taskmasters to build pyramids and, and you know, big sculptures and things. And they were mistreating them and they weren't good to them. And, and, and Pharaoh thought he was a god. He had no concept of the Jewish god at all. He thought he was god. If you had shown up in that time, you would have said, God, you can't expect these people to obey that. Why don't you tell them to, to run, to flee, to rebel? Don't let them work. On, don't let them be slaves like that. God, do something. And God would say, I am doing something. Well, what are you doing? I'm preparing a nation. And through that nation, a Savior's going to come. If you'd shown up when Jesus had been taken captive by the religious leaders and kept up all night and gone through the trials and watched everything that had happened, you would have said to yourself, man, God, you can't be serious. You're not going to let this happen. And he went before Pilate, and Pilate's seriously entertained in letting Jesus be crucified. And you're, you're saying to yourself, God, you, you cannot be serious. I mean, this is Jesus. You can't let, Je- you can't let this happen to Jesus. And then, and then the, the two men come together and both decide that it's okay for Jesus to be crucified. I'm pretty sure that if we'd been there not knowing anything else, we would have all risen up and said, God, you can't be serious. You can't let this happen. This is wrong. This is bad. What are you doing? Do something. And God would say, I am doing something. What are you doing? I'm saving the world. And it looks, it looks out of control, and it looks crazy, and the authorities look like they're not godly at all, and yet God used those authorities to accomplish his will. It didn't look right to us. It wouldn't look right to us. But just because it doesn't look right to you doesn't mean that you know everything that's going on. So what you do is you operate in faith, and you say, God, even when I don't understand, I'm going to follow you. Even when, you, when it makes no sense and I look at the government and I look at what I'm being told and I look at my authorities and I go, man, that just, that's crazy. I'm just going to trust that they're your agent and that you're up to something in the world. You look in the Old Testament. King Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for a whole nation coming back to repentance in repentance. And at the time, Nebuchadnezzar didn't even believe in God. It's crazy. Christians should be the best citizens in the United States. I thought I'd get something stronger than that. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we? We should be the best citizens in the United States. Students, you should be the best students in your school. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to be the smartest, but you should be the best students in your school. When you go to work in the morning, everybody, you should be the best employee at your job. You should have the best attitude. You should work harder. You should be the shining light example for everybody else because you understand this person that I'm serving, that I work under, they are appointed by God over me. They are God's authority over me. Even though they may not even believe in God, they may be complete atheists. God has, for whatever reason, decided this person is the authority over me. Now, what does this look like? What do you do with it? Because your response to the rules at work is a spiritual issue. Your response to what's going on at school tomorrow is a spiritual issue. Your coach, spiritual issue. Your attitude toward the authority that you can see is a direct reflection of the attitude you have to the authority that you don't see. And God always works through human authority. 
That's tough to live out. That's really tough to live out. But that's what we're called to. If you want to be a faithful Christian, if you want to be spiritual, that's what spiritual looks like. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, quite honestly, if we told you the truth, this is one uh, page of Scripture we'd probably want to just reach in and rip out because it just doesn't seem to make sense to us. We are very accustomed to taking things one at a time and saying that makes sense, that doesn't. Lord, help us to see things the way they are, that you have put these people in authority over us. They may not always seem to get it right. They may seem to be directly opposed to your will sometimes. But God, you have, throughout history, you have affected your will through people who sometimes didn't even believe in you, and only you can figure that out. God, we just need faith. We just need, we, we just need to trust you to, to look through the authority that's over us straight to you and say, God, you ultimately are the one in charge, and, and I'm just, I'm just going to try and be the best I can for you. Father, would you just bless us as we do that? Would you help us to change the world? Would you help us to lead people to Christ? Just as, as we try to live that out, as we try to be the best citizen we could be, the best student, the best athlete, the best boss, the best mom and dad we could be. God, help us to see that you work through human authority. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.